Father, we thank you. You are worthy to be praised. You who have loved us so deeply that you sent your Son. And Jesus, we thank you that you came for us to pay the penalty of our sin, that we might be forgiven and cleansed, that we might have a relationship with you now and that we might have eternal life. We praise you for those wonderful gifts of grace that you have given to us. Help us now as we open your word and see how we should respond to your great love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're doing a two-week series here at Cornerstone. Every year around Thanksgiving, I do a sermon series in the book of Psalms. And there's lots of reasons that I do it, but one of the reasons I do this psalm series every year is because it helps us to have a proper focus on God. And I, I think of it sometimes as an annual checkup, a reminder for our heart and for our souls. Are we focusing rightly on God? It's so easy for us to get our eyes off track, to get the focus of our life in the wrong direction. There are so many things that happen around us in the world. There are so many desires within our own hearts. And I like this series every year to just stand as a reminder. Are we properly focusing our lives, our hearts, our eyes, our minds on Christ? Are we living for him the way that we should? Today we're going to look at two really short psalms, Psalms 133 and 134. These are the last two in a grouping of 15 psalms called the Songs of Ascent. And if you're looking for a homework assignment this week, I'd encourage you to read all of those, starting at Psalm 120 through 134. I did it last night. It didn't take that long, and it was a really wonderful time of worship. Uh, the word ascent just means going up. And we don't know this exactly, but we can kind of piece it together from history that what probably was going on here was that these were songs that the people were singing as they were going on their way up to Jerusalem. The Israelites were commanded in the Old Testament to gather at various times in Jerusalem for worship. And it's very possible then that these 15 psalms served as their hymnal as they were singing on their way up. And it's kind of neat that regardless of what direction you were coming to Jerusalem from, whether that was east or west or north or south, you would always say that you were going up to Jerusalem. And it could be because Jerusalem was a city on a hill, but it could also be because this thought was that you not only go up to Jerusalem, but you go up to the Lord in worship. So these songs of ascent actually help us to, to have our focus to go up in the right direction. And both Psalm 133 and 134 end on a note of blessing. So anybody here want blessing from the Lord? Uh, yeah, I, I do. Now it reminds me of a question. Um, I've, I've told this story here before, but I'll say it again. It was such a good question. It was one of the Early on, when I came here to Cornerstone Church, somebody came up to me and asked the question, is God's blessing on us? And it was a great question because, again, think, what would it be like if God's blessing were not on us? What would it be like if, if we were just going about our business, doing things the, we, the way that we thought they should, but, but that God wasn't blessing us? What should we do? Well, we should stop what we're doing, right? And figure out what's wrong and figure out how we can be in a place where we receive blessing from God. So it was a wonderful question. My answer to that question, and my answer today is still the same as I gave seven years ago. My answer to that question is that God blesses those who seek him. God blesses those who seek him. So it, it's our responsibility as worshipers to be people who seek after God. 
And in Psalm 133 and 134, we're going to see two specific things that we can do to seek God. And as such, if we're doing that, one of the wonderful, amazing things is that we can receive blessing from God. So let's start with Psalm 133, a song of ascents of David. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. The word unity, which we see in verse 1, is basically a word which means togetherness. And in verse 1 it says that unity is good and pleasant. It's good and pleasant when brothers live together in unity. In the Old Testament, Israelites were called brothers. And it's interesting, I just looked this up this week. They were called brothers, even somebody who owed money, even somebody who committed a crime was still called a brother. And there were actually laws that would protect them because they were still brothers. Now if we think about this in the New Testament, all of us who have come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord are brothers and sisters in Christ. Think about how that happened. We were, we were lost. We were dead in sin. But God, through the gospel message, rescued us. Jesus Christ forgives us for all of our sins. And what happens to us? We are rescued from this lost, dark place and brought into the family of God. We become adopted children of God. And what happens then for us together as we together come to Christ? We become brothers and sisters in Christ. So as we look around at each other here, we can know we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And then let me make one more comment about unity in the Old Testament. The Israelites, we can see from their history, they were most united together when they were united in worship. Again, the Israelites at various times of their year were commanded to come together in Jerusalem. And when they did that, the things in their nation seemed to go a lot better. And it's really interesting. I, I find this fascinating, this little history lesson here. I hope you find this fascinating as well. Um, I, I thought about quizzing you on this, but I'm not going to do that. But here's a little history lesson. The nation of Israel, they had King David and King Solomon, and after that, the nation was divided into two. And we had what we call Israel in the north and Judah in the south. Together you could call them Israel, but specifically it was Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And Israel was kind of the, the rebellious one. They were the ones that broke away. They were the ones that never had a faithful king. And their very first king in the north King Jeroboam, the, one of the very first things that he did to divide the nation was that he made alternate places for the people to worship. Because he knew, it says in scripture, he knew that if the people went down from Israel to Judah to worship in Jerusalem where they were supposed to worship, he knew that their hearts would go there. So he gave these alternate false places of worship and, and he led the nation astray through that worship. So let me just give a point of application here. If we want to be united together, one of the things that we should be doing together is worshiping together. Now, it's kind of a sad thought for me a little bit. As, as we, if we could take a snapshot all around the world today of, of people either going to church or not going to church, and, and if we were able to come up with a percentage of people all around the globe that, that went to church and then percentage of those that didn't, it's sad to me to think of how many people stayed home from church. And of course, sometimes there's good reasons, maybe you're, you're sick or whatever else it might be. 
But it's sad to me to think of how many people regularly think that they don't need to come together for worship. Because I believe that blessing from the Lord comes as we worship Him. We'll see that very strongly in Psalm 134. And I also believe that there's this blessing of unity that we get together as we worship together. So I want to encourage you, wherever some of you are very regular in your church attendance, and I don't often talk about church attendance like this, but I'm going to say it today. I want to urge you to be regular in your church attendance because it is good for unity, it is good for your soul, it helps us to worship God, and we do it all together. It's, I believe it's one of the ways that God created us. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan, very much a big fan then, of church attendance in that regard. Not that we just think about it as a numbers game, but we think about what's going on in our hearts as we come together for worship. Okay, then moving on to verse 2, we see what might be a strange word picture to us of oil being poured down on someone's head. It talks about the oil coming down on the head and then the beard and then the collars of the robes. It's a picture of the anointing of the priest. And in Israel, the, the priesthood was a very important deal because it symbolized the idea that God met with him. God established the priesthood so that God could meet with his people. So for Israel to have a priest was for them to have an avenue to meet with God. So there's this blessing of this word picture of the oil falling down on, on Aaron and on the priests and on the Levites. So it's kind of interesting that in this song of going up to worship God, it's like the blessings of God flow down like oil. And then it goes on to say it, in verse 3, it's like the dew of Mount Hermon. I'm not going to call it Mountain Dew, but I'll let you just... <laughs> Mount Hermon was the tallest mountain in Israel, and the dew from it was precious, and it said it's like that dew was falling on Zion. Now Zion represents the place where God meets with his people. In the Old Testament, it's basically a synonym for Jerusalem. In fact, sometimes it says Zion, Jerusalem, right together. In the New Testament, though, in Hebrews 12, Zion is referred to as the place in heaven where God now dwells, the place where we will get to live with God forever. So Zion is a wonderful word picture of the place of God dwelling with his people. And then it says in verse 3, at the very end, For there the Lord bestows his blessing even life forevermore. God bestows his blessing from Zion on his people who live in unity. And one of those blessings is life forevermore. Now, let's not make the mistake to think that through our unity we can earn eternal life. That, that's not what it's saying. But I think what it's saying for us, if we can bring some New Testament language into it, that if we are people who center our lives on Jesus and on worshiping God, and as we do that together, God bestows the blessings of eternal life on those kinds of people. So unity in the Lord is a big deal. That's really what Psalm 133 is about. We receive blessing from the Lord as we live in unity. So how can we have unity? Well, let me first start off by saying, I really feel like at Cornerstone, we're doing pretty well in this. I feel like we love each other. I feel like I hear stories of us getting involved in people's lives like in the ways that we should. Like sometimes you hear of people getting involved in other people's lives in the way they should. I feel like we do a good job of, of helping each other out here, of loving each other. And, and let me just stand up here and, and say, good job, keep it up. I hear visitors coming in and say, wow, it, it feels really warm here. I, I've heard people say, I haven't felt that in a church in maybe forever. So good job, but keep it up. How else? 
So, so how is it that we can pursue unity? Well, one thing I want you to realize is that we have an enemy, Satan, who wants to divide us. In John 10, we're told of a thief who wants to steal and kill and destroy. In that same chapter, we're told of a wolf who wants to divide, to scatter and attack the flock. And we've all seen the Nature Channel shows, right, where a predator comes to attack the flock. And what does he do? Does he just jump right into the middle of that flock and start ripping up things? No, usually he chases it for a while and, and one of the animals gets divided from the flock and he attacks that one. I want you to know that that's how our enemy works. Wants to divide us. Wants, to, wants it to start maybe not with you rejecting God, but maybe you have something against a brother or sister in Christ and maybe that division causes you to scatter away from the flock a little bit. Then you're prime, a prime target for the enemy. That's how he works. And in God's word, it tells us that he doesn't want us to be unaware of the devil's scheme. So let's be aware of that. Let's pursue unity. We're commanded in Ephesians 4 to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Okay, how else do we get unity? Well, we should pray for it. That's what Jesus did in John 17 in his longest recorded prayer in the Bible. Jesus prayed that we would be united with each other, that we would also be united with God. And one of the results of that kind of unity, Jesus said, was that the world would know that God sent Jesus. So isn't that neat? Our unity together can shine to the world that God sent Jesus. So let's keep on loving each other. Let's keep praying for that kind of unity. And if we're going to be united with other people, well, we should probably think about other people then too, right? And Philippians 2, verses 3 through 5, tell us that we should consider others better than ourselves. And it says that we should look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then, if that's not enough, it says in the next verse that our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. What was Jesus' attitude? Again, he came as a servant. He came in humility. He came thinking about others. So if we want unity, we're supposed to not just think about our own interests. It's so easy for us to do that. Let's train ourselves to think about what other people need and want. You see, we're a body, all of us together. That's one of the images of the Bible. When we come to Christ, he's the head, and we're the body, and we're just a part of it. And even here at Cornerstone, we're just a small part of the worldwide body. But in this body language, it's kind of interesting. Um, you don't say, if your finger is hurting, well, that's a, that's a dumb finger, I'm just going to cut it off. You know, maybe medically there's times where that needs to happen, but for the most part, we, we look out for our body, and if there's a part that's hurting, we hurt with it. So as we look around our body, let's, let's think of others, and maybe there's somebody that annoys you. Maybe there's somebody you don't get along with. Still, we are all part of one body, and we show concern for each other as part of the body, because when we injure someone else, we injure our body. We injure ourselves. What else can we do? Well, worship. I mentioned that one already, but that, that's a great one. We can worship together. One of the ways that we pursue unity. In Acts 2, we see the Apostle Peter preaching a sermon and about 3,000 people are added to their number of worshipers that day. And what do we see the very next phase of that in Acts 2? We see the people gathering together for worship. At Cornerstone, we get our core values from the last verses of Acts 2. And in there it says that they were committed to things like worship. That's our first core value. And I kind of look at worship as the overarching core value. Worship is to take up our whole lives and then the next five core values from Acts 2 as well 
tell us how we can worship. We can worship together in prayer. We can worship together by upholding God's word. And, and by the way, these are all things that we can do together, uh, individually as well, but then we come together to do them. Fellowship. I guess you can't really do fellowship by yourself, so let's not, don't try to do that. Um, if, if you're having fellowship with yourself, there's a problem, okay, and we need to address that. Um, let's have fellowship with each other. And then our last two core values, evangelism and service. Those are things that we can do together as well. So we come together as a body. We worship God. We pursue unity. We're stronger together than we are apart. And then just a few closing tips here as I, as I close out Psalm 133. Tips for unity. Remember that this is God's church, not ours. If you, have, excuse me, if you have an idea for how things should go at church, and believe me, we all do. We all have our own ideas of how we'd like things to go. Uh, maybe you're frustrated with how something goes, but just remember, this is God's church. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's God's church. And if, if you have an idea, just ask yourself the question, is this for my glory or is it for God's glory? So as you're, as you're thinking about things, and, and even ask the question, am I willing to serve to be part of the, the answer for this? It's a good question to ask. Um, also, if you have a gift, use it. Use it for God's glory. You're, you're given gifts. We're all given gifts in Christ. Every single one of us is given spiritual gifts. Not so that, just so that we can use them, just so that we can be seen as someone who has a gift, but so that the church can be built up. Then also, for unity, respect authority. And I don't say this because I'm feeling disrespected at all. I haven't heard that from the leadership team here either. I just say it because it's a good biblical principle. Respect your leaders. It, it, it says in Hebrews 13, I think it's chapter 13, yeah. Um, it reminds us that lack of submission to authority leads to the people in authority having a burden. And it says that would be of no advantage to you. So respect authorities. And then this is a difficult one, but it's a really important one on unity. We should choose to love and to forgive. People will continue to offend and annoy you. And, and think about it. God chooses to use the language of family, and who's more annoying than your family, right? No, I'm, I shouldn't say it that way, but... Uh, or should I? I shouldn't say it that way, I'm sorry. But um, the people... I'll say it this way. Let me correct myself. The people that you're closest to are oftentimes the people that have the most capacity to annoy you and to offend you and to hurt you the most deeply. So how should we respond when those things happen? We should choose to respond with love and forgiveness. In Colossians 3, we are commanded, we're, actually we're just kind of told, anyways, we're, we're told to bear with each other and to forgive whatever grievances we have against one another. And then right after that, we're told to forgive as the Lord forgave. How did the Lord forgive? He took our sins away. He doesn't just like kind of put them to the side a little bit and then come back to them if he needs to hold them against us a little bit later. He takes our sins away. So how are you going to respond the next time somebody offends you or sins against you or even annoys you? Let's choose to respond with love. Let's be known as a church full of people that love each other. Again, I actually think we're already kind of known as that. Let's keep that going. Let's choose to love and to forgive. And then one final tip on unity. 
Let's pursue unity with believers outside of Cornerstone, too. And I actually, I want to encourage you with this. I, I meet together with other pastors from this city pretty regularly, and, and I really feel a strong sense of unity among us, especially among the evangelical pastors in this town. But we have a strong sense of unity, and, and we desire that the people of our churches would have that strong sense of unity as well. So as you see other believers from other churches and you know they're worshiping God, let's pursue unity with them as well. And in that, we will see blessings from God. God tells us where these blessings come from, and one of the places they come from is when we pursue unity. So let's do it. Okay, let's move on then to Psalm 134. A song of ascent. Praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who minister by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. May the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, bless you from Zion. So again, a song of ascent, and again, you can picture people singing this as they go up to worship God. And again, this psalm mentions the idea of God blessing his people. Look at that in verse 3. May the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, bless you from Zion. So think about that. The same God who made the heavens and the earth, pretty amazing feet, wants to bless us. Boy, let, let your mind dwell on that for a little bit. God wants to bless us. God, who has the, the power to create the universe, wants to bless us. I don't know what all those blessings would be, but even just let your mind think about what those blessings could be. The blessing of joy, the blessing of peace, the blessing of friendship, the blessing of... Let your mind wander on what those blessings could be. For God to bless us is to give something to us that would satisfy our souls. Do you want that? So again, the question here should be, how do we get these blessings? And there's a pretty fascinating answer in Psalm 134. We receive blessings from God as we bless Him. Now some of you, your heresy meter might be going up a little bit. You might be saying, hey, did our pastor just say that we're supposed to bless God? Yes, I did. I, and I said it very intentionally. Do you know why I say it? Because that's the word that's used here in Psalm 134. The same word that is used for God blessing us in verse 3 is the command that we are supposed to do for God in verse 1 and verse 2. In the NIV, they've translated the same word, bless, as praise. And I think praising is one way that we bless the Lord. But the word is literally blessed. We are supposed to bless the Lord. Did you know that? Now, obviously, we are limited in our capacity to do that. Because if your heresy meter is going up a little bit, you're thinking, wait a second, God is the one who blesses. I can't bless like God does. Well, you're right in a sense that we can't bless like God does. We don't have his unlimited, infinite capacity to bless. But the word is the same. The word means to show favor. And we are supposed to do that to the Lord. We are supposed to bless him. Now, perhaps we've been aided in our understanding of that by that wonderful song we sang earlier this morning, Bless the Lord, O My Soul. It's from Scripture. That's what we're supposed to do. And just a side note here, uh, worship songs, at least the good ones that use Scripture, which those are the ones that we try to sing here, they teach us things. That's a big part of why we sing them. We sing them because we want to glorify God, but also they help teach us how we should walk with God. And one of the things we should do is bless God the Lord. So tell your soul to bless the Lord. Okay? Again, to bless is to show favor. 
Uh, and one of the ways that we can bless God is by praising him. So Psalm 134 is a command for servants of the Lord to bless him. They're told in verse 2 to lift up their hands in the sanctuary. Lifting up hands is a way to, to show God that we believe that he is glorious. Also, I've heard that the, the lifting up of hands is kind of a recognition of saying, God, if there's going to be any good thing in my life, it's going to come from you. Um, he pours out his blessings on us as we go up to him and bless him. So this psalm is written to the priests and Levites of the Old Testament whose job it was to serve in the temple. It, it gives rules and regulations for how they were supposed to do that. It tells them that they were supposed to go in shifts, day and night, standing before the Lord to praise him. So let me ask you a question here. When you read the Old Testament, who do you identify with? Do you identify with the farmer? Let's say there's a guy who's you know, raising some crops raising some animals. Let's say he lives 10 miles outside of Jerusalem and he knows that a few times during the year he's supposed to bring in his offering and present them and, and worship at the temple with all the other people who have gathered. Is that who you identify with? Maybe some of you think, yeah, I could live that life. Or, or women, maybe you identify with the homemaker and her husband goes out and she stays at home and she does the cooking, she takes care of the kids, she makes the clothes. But do you know who we're supposed to identify with in the Old Testament? The priests, all of us. It says in the New Testament, in 1 Peter 2, that when we come to Jesus, we are included as living stones in a spiritual house in which we are a holy priesthood. Four verses later, we're called a royal priesthood. And it says in that same chapter in 1 Peter 2, that our job is to offer spiritual sacrifices and to declare the praises of God. We are to do what the priests of the Old Testament did. We are to worship the Lord, offering spiritual sacrifices to him. So our job description as believer priests is to praise God. Um, I once, actually twice in my life, I had jobs where I didn't always know what I was supposed to do when I showed up. It's a really odd feeling. I didn't like the feeling at all. Uh, I'd show up to work and be like, what do I do? And, and sometimes there weren't people there to tell me what to do. And I'm like, this is really weird. What do I do? Um, sometimes as pastors we joke around about you know if you were to write out our job description I mean who knows there could be all sorts of things things like you know anyways it doesn't matter but we have a job description as believer priests and our job description is to praise God to bless him so let's be about that work every single one of us who has come to Jesus is part of that priesthood of believers and it's our job to praise him and God is blessed as we praise him. It's something that he wants from us. And, and let's not misunderstand that. It's not that God is going to stop being God if we fail to praise him. We don't have that capacity to harm God like that. If God were to withhold blessing from us, we would be harmed. And we don't have that capacity to harm God. But we can give God something he wants as we praise him. In blessing the Lord, we give him something he wants. And if we don't do it, there's something missing. And I know some of you, some of you from Scandinavian background perhaps, maybe feel a little uncomfortable with these outward expressions of praise to God. But let me just remind you, even if you're Norwegian, it's your job description as believer priests to praise God, to bless him. It's, it's not just those Christian weirdos who, who sing and do things. It's, it's all of us that we're supposed to bless God in this way. 
Do you know that God seeks worshipers? Remember this from John 4:23. Jesus said, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Think about that. God from heaven is looking throughout the earth, looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. We are to bless God. And as we do that, God blesses us. Last week I reminded you that as we rejoice in the Lord, He gives us joy. It's kind of the same principle here. As we bless the Lord, He blesses us. And I think we get this idea that God blesses us, again from verse 3, from Zion, God, the maker of heaven and earth, blesses His people. And for Him to bless us, you know, maybe it's for Him to give us something that we don't have. Like I said, maybe it's joy and peace in a difficult time. Or maybe there's something that you need. Like let's say you need a ride one day and you don't know where it's going to come from and all of a sudden a friend shows up at your door and says, hey, do you need anything? Whoa, God, thank you. You blessed me with... I, I think of sometimes God blessing us with things that we don't have. But then for us to bless God, it's kind of on a different scale and, and what we are to do is to give him what he, what he wants and what he wants from us is this relationship with him where we acknowledge him as being praiseworthy and we bless him. A pastor friend of mine said something really helpful this week. He said, something has not been fully appreciated until it has been publicly praised. Think about that. Like, let's say somebody has a new baby. What do they do? Do they just, uh, you know, take their baby home really quietly? And three years later, people are like, oh, you had a baby? What? No, usually, like for us, we got the email list ready, and, and like within an hour almost after that baby is born, we're telling like, everybody we know a baby has been born. Or think about on a smaller scale. Let's say that your spouse does something nice for you. What should you do? You should thank your spouse, right? Thank you for that gift you gave me. I'm so appreciative. And maybe if they did something really nice, you might even tell other people what your spouse did for you. Or think about this one. Your favorite sports team wins a championship. Now, I know in Minnesota that thought is kind of foreign to us, but... Um, <laughs> Other places I've seen and heard, uh, when their teams win a championship, they have a victory parade. It's one thing to win the game and, and, and you know, have that victory, but it's another thing to celebrate that victory. Well, think about us. We have victory in Christ. Let's celebrate that victory. Let's do that by, by publicly praising God. And again, praising God is something that we can do individually and privately too, but let's do it together and worship God together too. Let's worship God for who he is. Let's worship him by living the lives that he's called us to live, by loving each other, by serving each other. When we see people in need, we can bless them and God is blessed in that process. When we give our tithes and offerings, we bless God. And think about that one. Does God need our money? Is God up there like, hey, you know, can I borrow 20 bucks? <laughs> no. God doesn't need our money, but he wants us to join with him in what he's doing. And our act of giving is an act of worship then and that we bless God by reminding ourselves that all that we have comes from him and we give back to him as an act of worship. So blessing the Lord should be something that we regularly do. It should be something we do on purpose. Um... One way to think of it would be, well, I, I hope it just happens along the way. As I live my life, you know, doing the things that I think I should do, I hope that God is pleased. Let's not do that. Let's, let's kick it up a couple of notches 
and say, I am going to seek to bless God, to worship Him, to praise Him, to live for Him. And as we do that, we are blessed. The maker of heaven and earth blesses us from Zion. Okay, I want to wrap up my sermon now by giving some final thoughts, uh, tying these two psalms together. In both of these psalms, we see some things that the servants of the Lord are supposed to do. And remember, that's us. We are the servants of the Lord. We are the holy priesthood. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to seek unity and bless the Lord. So again, if you're wondering what's your job description as believer priest, well, here's two things. Pursue unity, bless the Lord. Those are two things that we can do if we want to stay on track with God. Again, this psalm series to me is a series that's designed to help us stay on track with God. We get off track when we focus on the things of the world or focus on the things of ourselves. We get on track when we focus on God. And God has told us two things that we can do as we seek Him here. Pursue unity with other believers and bless the Lord. So how are you doing in those two areas? Do you get along well with other believers? Are you actively seeking to be part of fellowship with other believers? And are you praising God? Are you blessing Him? Are you living a life where you often, regularly stop to give thanks to God, to praise Him, and to live according to His ways? And then one other thing about this, please know, please know, that God wants to bless us. That is who He is. The maker of heaven and earth, the God who did all these wonderful things, the God who made sunsets. Did, did God have to make a sunset as pretty as it is? I don't think he had to. I don't think that there was anybody making him do that. I think he does that because he's a creative God and he loves to bless. And I think we need to remember that God wants to bless us. Those blessings come as we seek him. Remember, God blesses those who seek him. And again, he's told us here, pursue unity, bless the Lord. We can bless him in that, and in that kind of a relationship, God blesses us. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for what you've told us here about how you want us to live, and even how we can receive blessings from you. But God, I pray that we wouldn't just be seeking how we can get those blessings. I pray that we would be people who bless you. God, may we be people who praise you and glorify your name. Publicly, privately, all throughout our lives, may we bless you. And God, I pray that you would strengthen us, strengthen our unity together as we do that. Help us to love each other and to forgive each other. Help us to pursue unity as we pursue you. And may we encourage each other to continue to worship and bless you. And then God, we praise you for the blessings you pour out on us. And God, we just say... We thank you for those blessings and we'd love to get more of them. May we live lives that honor you, lives in which you, the maker of heaven and earth, bless us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.